from St. Louis Public Radio. This is Politically Speaking. Roy Blunt's impending retirement has set off a wild 2022 contest for the U.S. Senate, especially on the Republican side of the aisle. Four candidates have announced their bids, and more could enter the unpredictable contest. On the latest episode of Politically Speaking, the Kansas City stars Jeannie Kwong and Jonathan Shorman join me to talk about what dynamics could direct the race to replace Blunt. Let's hit the music. This is the Politically Speaking podcast, the definitive show about Missouri politics. We have to talk about things that matter to people. I've tried to bring that same aggressive iconoclast style with me to uh, the United States Senate. I think my district is a model for the state. We put Missourians first. You just kind of have to find the common ground with people. I believe that this district deserves someone who represents their values. After I came back to St. Louis, I started thinking that I could have a bigger role on the change that I wanted to make. And welcome to Politically Speaking. I'm your host, St. Louis Public Radio political correspondent, Jason Rosenbaum. Joining me today are two great reporters for the Kansas City Star. Our our first guest co-host, so to speak, today is the Kansas City Star Statehouse reporter. Jeannie Kwong. And the Kansas City Star's lead political reporter. Jonathan Shorman. I think you're both... First time guests to the podcast, but I wanted to bring both of you on because you both have been following Missouri's wild and wacky U.S. Senate contest. And you recently had an article about the dynamics of that race, which we're going to post in the web story for this. And I thought it would be a good time to take a step back and talk about sort of where we are primarily in the Republican primary, but we'll also touch on the Democratic primary as well. So for people that have not been paying super, super close attention, Roy Blunt announced that he would not be running for a third term, and four candidates have announced they're running as Republicans. Those are former Governor Eric Greitens, Attorney Mark McCloskey, Attorney General Eric Schmidt, and U.S. Congresswoman Vicki Hartzler. So we're going to start with the candidate that people have been talking about probably the most, and that is Greitens. Jeannie, I I think that you've actually gone out to a Lincoln Days uh, recently, and I'm not talking about the main one. I'm kind of talking about like a regional one and seeing Greitens speak. What, What has kind of been his message to grassroots activists, and what have been your general impressions when you've seen him speak? The first thing he really did was rattle off a list of different organizations, Women for Trump, X group for Trump that um, he said had endorsed him. So that was pretty much, you know, kind of set the stage for what I think his candidacy is going to look like. And obviously um, with him skipping the statewide Lincoln's Lincoln days to go to the Arizona ballot audit. Um, That's really what he's trying to carve himself out as the Trump candidate. And he's definitely going to have a lot of competition on on that front. Um, He really didn't touch um, in in Jackson County for that speech. He really didn't even really touch on his time as governor. It it, it was barely mentioned. Um, But obviously, that was kind of the big elephant in the room. To just kind of take the Band-Aid off, as I like to say on the show, Greitens was governor from early 2017 to the middle of 2018, 
and he resigned amid a torrent of scandal involving allegations of sexual and physical abuse against a woman he was having an affair with, as well as improprieties at uh, the, the charity that he helped found, The Mission Continues. Um, I want to touch on the Arizona audit that Jeannie just mentioned and the reason he was not at Lincoln Days in Kansas City. This is actually a clip of Greitens on Facebook talking about that audit. Hey, patriots in Missouri and around the country, I want to tell you, I'm here from Missouri, the show me state. Arizona is showing us what it takes to get to the bottom of the 2020 election. It's incredible what they're doing and great warriors have made it happen. Jonathan, you were recently part of an article with Brian Lowry talking about how candidates like Greitens are kind of playing in to this fantasy that the election could somehow be overturned. Uh, what do you think Greitens stands to gain or lose by by taking this posture uh, uh, and, and really bringing attention to things like what's happening in Arizona? Right. And yeah, like you said, the, the article um, kind of explored some of the rhetoric that we've seen, uh, especially from Greitens and uh, to a degree, uh, McCloskey as well, um, about uh, centered around the 2020 election. And um, right. I mean, Greitens going to Arizona, I think in a previous article, I described it as counter programming to uh, Lincoln Days, the statewide Lincoln Days. And um, it's you know, he is trying, like Jeannie said, he's trying to really carve out this this Trump space in a way that's going to be hard for or tough for any other candidate to match. Um, and I think, you know, he is sensing, um, and not just him, but just a number of Republican candidates, candidates even around the country, sense that there is a need at some level to um, really talk up themes of, of centered around the, the 2020 election. Uh, for a lot of candidates, that, that kind of manifests itself in, in terms of uh, code words like, like election integrity. Um, for Greitens, you know, he's being a little bit more aggressive in terms of actually going to Arizona and at least you know, hinting or suggesting that somehow it's an open question that, uh, you know, that, that maybe Trump would that the the results could be overturned or something that that obviously is not going to happen. Um, but I think uh, there is a certain core of a very hard right, uh, you know, Trump uh, supporting uh, potential primary voters out there that he wants to make sure that he has a, a super solid lock on. And I think things like the Arizona trip uh, demonstrate that. So the interesting thing is, because I both Jonathan and I were at Lincoln Days in Kansas City, I, I didn't really notice a lot of people when they were making speeches really hammering home on the 2020 election that much. I'm not going to say that it was never mentioned, because when Josh Hawley spoke, he talked about talked about how he didn't regret objecting to the Electoral College votes on January 6th. But they kind of focused on other issues and other speakers like Governor Mike Parson were very explicit about what had actually happened on the 2020 election. That is the blueprint of the Trump administration. All I've did is just been able, fortunate enough to be able to carry it out. And when we lost that race, our heart went out to that whole administration. I know mine did, but that's okay. It is what it is. Is that kind of a sign that maybe the 
continued complaining about the 2020 election results is not really polling that well. And it's really only catering to a very small aspect of the Republican base. Are is Parson kind of missing the bigger picture? And this is a bigger issue than people think. I think I I would kind of go back to a, a point that I made uh, earlier, which is that I think for some some politicians are wanting to explicitly talk about the 2020 results and to keep relitigating that. A number of others are using language like election integrity and certainly support for uh, changes to voter access, uh, election laws, um, uh, you know, ballots and that type of thing going forward, which I think is a way you know, can be viewed as a way to kind of respond to some of the issues and, and some of the, the complaints that were, were brought up uh, in 2020 without kind of getting in a, into a space of just complaining about the 2020 results. I would also point out that, that Parson um, uh, is not <laughs> running for office uh, currently uh, and may, you know, quite possibly might not run for, for any future office. And so he might uh, be willing to, to speak about these issues in a, in a little different way. I also think some of the candidates are using their current elected positions to, to sort of like move that Trump conversation forward by saying, well, now I'm here bringing the fight to the Biden administration. That's something that Eric Schmidt as attorney general has leaned very heavily on. Um, and, and I think that kind of like moves that conversation forward instead of, um, quote unquote, dwelling on the election. Actually, Jeannie, you are a great segueer because we're going to move on to some of the other <laughs> candidates. And I, I want to play a clip from Attorney General Eric Schmidt, who was at Lincoln Days, giving sort of the his pitch about why he feels he's the strongest candidate in this race. Well, I've won statewide a couple of times and I've uh, gotten around the state. I think people have gotten to know me. And I think my record, you know, um, as being a, a lifelong and longtime conservative, um, you know, fighting alongside President Trump as Attorney General for the, uh, the America First agenda, that record's very clear. And also now pushing back on the Biden administration. I mean, the, attorney, the Republican attorneys general across the country are really the last, um, you know, sort of the firewall from this really radical agenda. And, and our office has really taken the lead nationally. It's pretty clear to me that Schmidt is potentially like the Mitch McConnell-backed candidate. He's raised a lot of money. He's appeared on this podcast called The Ruthless Podcast, which is very much linked to McConnell. But I've also seen some more conservative Republicans kind of going after him and saying that he's really not that conservative. His record in the state Senate showcases he's actually a moderate pretending to be a conservative. Jeannie, what have you kind of heard from people about Schmidt's candidacy so far? So when he first declared, um, there was very much from, I think, kind of like Republican insiders, traditional Republican establishment folks that um, he's a great candidate because compared to the other declared candidate at the time, Eric Grimes, he's so um, normal. He's got a family. Um, he's just got this very traditional um, slant to him. And and now that the the field is getting bigger and bigger, I, I do wonder, I think it's a good question whether or not, um, you know, with some other candidates who are kind of more out there, whether or not he's going to have to take a take a more aggressive position in order to carve out a special lane for himself. You mentioned a bigger field because after Schmidt announced, because he was the second candidate to announce after Greitens, we had a third candidate who has never run for elected office before, and that is Mark McCloskey 
an attorney from St. Louis who made national news when he and his wife pointed guns at demonstrators who were marching to then-Mayor Lyda Krusen's house. Here is McCloskey at Lincoln Days. And and then when Roy Bond announced that, that he wasn't going to run, we started getting phone calls from people that were wondering if we were interested in doing it. And, you know, it became a calling. We really felt that we should just put our lives on hold. And we felt this from the, from the time that we were first attacked last summer. Do whatever we can to save this country because our freedoms are being stripped away from us so fast that if everybody doesn't stand up right now, our country's gone. So there are some people, including uh, Jefferson County Republican activist Derek Good, who feel that McCloskey's entry into the race complicates things for Eric Greitens. I think everybody kind of assumed we'd have, uh, you know, if we had more than four, that it was Greitens' race to lose. Um, but I think um, that McCloskey changes that dynamic, and so that may also even lead to more people coming in. So I'll throw it open to both of you. What do you think McCloskey's role in this race actually is? Well, I think um, certainly I think the predominant interpretation out there is that McCloskey in some way uh, is likely, at least as the race stands right now, is likely to, to weaken Greitens' position. Um, certainly you can see how they would be competing for uh, some of the same lane of, of voters. Um, and, you know, they're also in the, the same uh kind of wing of, of the primary because they're they're the two candidates who who don't currently hold elected office compared to uh, Schmidt and and Hartzler and just generally um, you know I've heard uh, there's a number of Republicans who are, are very very worried about Greitens very eager to defeat him and um, you don't s- see that same kind of you know private chatter about McCloskey. Um, certainly, I think there's, uh, you know, an, a number of, of even Republicans who would who would not like to see him uh, as a senator. Yet, I don't think there's the same level of concern that somehow he would actually uh, uh, win a primary. I think right now it is uh, the, the kind of consensus view at the moment is that he is, uh, if anything, is is drawing support away from Greitens. I heard uh, McCloskey described in comparison to Greitens as. Uh, the uh, Buzz Lightyear to Greitens is Woody, the shiny new toy. And, you know, Greitens, obviously, being former governor, um, his name is really well known. Um, Mark McCloskey got a ton of press last year because of this gun incident in St. Louis. Um, and so in that way, too, they're kind of, I, I don't want to say front runners, but but they have a lot of name recognition. And so they're kind of sort of jostling for that that top spot in that area, too. So the, the final announced candidate is Congresswoman Vicki Hartzler, who is been in the U.S. House for a little over a decade. And this was kind of her messaging about why she feels she is the strongest person of the announced candidates. Well, I have results. I mean, they have rhetoric. I have results. I've been there in Washington for 11 years now fighting for our values and getting things done for Missourians. I'm also the only candidate from the western side of the state, the only one with an agriculture background, and that's Missouri's number one industry. In in addition to being the only non-St. Louis candidate, Hartzler is also, as of now, the only woman in the Republican field. What have both of you been hearing about her chances at pulling off a victory in a divided primary? To a degree, Hartzler 
and Schmidt are, you know, competing right now for the, the kind of same group of voters uh, you have, you know, they're both kind of quote unquote establishment. I know that's like a, a dirty word, but they're certainly both in elected office. Um, you know, I think Hartzler, uh, she does have, um, have those kind of bona fides as, as a social conservative. I, um, you know, I, I'm not quite certain how far that gets you um, in, in a world where uh, uh, kind of Trump support is, is very important uh, for, for many Republicans. Um, you know, she could be uh, attacked as, as maybe perhaps an, uh, an insider or kind of a, you know, a Washington DC um, type creature. Uh, you know, that <laughs> those kind of attacks will happen to anyone who's been in elected office uh, for any amount of time. Basically, I think some cycles it, it sticks more than others. I think it's maybe a little bit too early to know whether that kind of um, charge would, would actually um, hurt her. Uh, but, you know, I think sh certainly she's a competitor. And, and like you said, Jason, um, right now, kind of being the only um, candidate from from outside the St. Louis uh, area does uh, set her apart. And you can see that just in the way she's campaigned so far. I think, I believe she's the, the only candidate so far to have kind of a, a traditional campaign launch, you know, with a, with a, a rally and a, um, you know, a speech. And yeah. That, everybody else went on Fox. A... Everybody else went on Fox news. She actually uh, announced, I think in person and, I, I assume took questions afterwards from reporters too. Right, right, and so that that kind of was just a you know it's one contrast to show you that she is campaigning and approaching the race in a little bit of a different way. We'll be right back after this quick break with the Kansas City Stars, Jeannie Kwong and Jonathan Shoreman. And we're back on Politically Speaking, talking about the U.S. Senate race in Missouri with Jeannie Kwong and. Jonathan Shorman of the Kansas City Star. So we've talked about the four candidates that have announced, and I want to spend the second part of the show talking about the dynamics in this race, particularly the first off, the question about whether a divided field helps or hurts Greitens. And I think that there are obviously two mindsets on this. I think one is that the answer is yes, and that the more people that get in, the more it is likely that Greitens wins the primary but I think that there are other people who think that Greitens has so many inherent weaknesses that it's almost incentivizing more people to get in. For example, Congressman Jason Smith, who is from southeast Missouri, told me that, you know, in a divided field, he feels like he would have an advantage just because southeast Missouri is such a hotbed of Republican voters. Here is Smith talking with me at Lincoln Days. Missourians are smart. Missourians will pick the most conservative. They'll pick the candidate who is fighting for working class families, farmers, and small business. And they'll pick the candidate that has never backed down from the American First agenda. And a lot of folks can support President Trump or the American First agenda when it's popular, but when things got tough, they tuck and run. I didn't. In addition to Smith, uh, Congressman Billy Long and Congresswoman Ann Wagner are also thinking about getting into the race, as well as Senate President Pro Tem Dave Schatz. I'll, I'll throw it open to both of you. What have, be, what have you been hearing about a, a, a crowded field helping or hurting Greitens? I definitely think um, 
a lot of Republicans are 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 feeling like if more and more people get into the race, um, that it would be easy for Greitens to get a plurality and uh, win the nomination. And that's almost without question their weakest path to actually getting the seat. Uh, but at the same time, everyone is pretty eager to say, oh, but, you know, not everyone has gotten into the race yet um, and, and we don't know what's going to happen. And so I, I think on some level that that is kind of defensive. Um, and there are a lot of people who are talking about ways in which uh, Greitens ends up not really mattering at all. But we did see um, towards the end of the legislative session, um, some conservatives pushing, you know, potentially sending the Senate race to a primary runoff. Um, now, of course, the bill sponsor said it has nothing to do with any one candidate, but you know, one can easily see how that would result in um, Greitens having to face a runoff uh, opponent in the primary and probably not winning that one. Yeah, I'm sorry, but that was all about boxing out Greitens. I'm just not even going to dignify <laughs> that excuse with the response. Jonathan, what would it say about the other candidates if Greitens ends up winning this primary, even though there are oodles of things based off his scandal in 2018 and before that he can be attacked on? Right. I, I think it would show that there is an appetite, a very large appetite for the kind of uh, mega world, uh, Trump world um, type candidate, uh, regardless of, um, you know, the, <laughs> the all of the baggage that, that Greitens uh, comes with, uh, because it would be I mean, it's it's an extraordinary amount of uh, potential negative ads, uh, you know, oppo material, et cetera, that um, uh, that if he emerges from this primary, uh, the winner, um, you know, I think it would really uh, underscore that that primary voters were were thinking about uh, were really thinking about things other than Greitens past uh, and that. Um, you know, the, he, they judged his past uh, in kind of the scandals that beset him during his time as governor to be really um, maybe not immaterial, but but certainly not not top of mind uh, as voters went into the ballot box. So you mentioned MAGA, which is an acronym for Make America Great Again, which was, you know, made famous by former President Donald Trump. I think another dynamic in this race is whether Trump stays neutral or whether he endorses somebody. Neither Smith nor Long told me their entry into the race would be dependent on a Trump endorsement. And I actually asked Long about this topic at Lincoln Days. And he may shock the world. He may endorse someone tomorrow, just like he did in North Carolina. He, my uh, colleague, uh, Ted Budd, he shocked the world and endorsed him last week. So yeah, Donald Trump's going to do what Donald Trump wants to do. My wife and I went down to Mar-a-Lago, met with him for an hour. We had a big fundraiser down there. They originally put us in a room for 20, and they said, no, we want you in the one that holds 60. And we ended up selling 63 tickets to it. So it was a really successful event. He came in. I auctioned off my MAGA hat that I'd received at the RNC convention at the White House last year, brought $12,000. So uh, I've got a very, very good read. No one has been on the Trump train longer or stronger than me, period. What impact do you think Donald Trump personally could have on the Missouri Senate race? If he were to endorse, I think that could potentially be, you know, a seismic moment in the race. 
um, and depending on who it, who it is and, and at what point in the race that could effectively, uh, I mean, that could be it. <laughs> um, uh, that's one kind of one scenario. I think, um, you know, another scenario is uh, Trump doesn't endorse or, or chooses not to endorse until potentially uh, next uh, summer, um, you know, right before before the primary. And um, uh, maybe Trump is in a, you know, his political standing could be much different next year, um, given uh, the, the status of various criminal investigations into him personally and uh, his, his business, um, you know, you know, if he's facing uh, charges or, or um, significant lawsuits, or if he's having uh, financial troubles that could affect kind of his perception and the, his popularity in the in the party um, uh, nationally, but also in Missouri. So, um, you certainly, I think you know Trump as he stands right now, endorsing would be um, a very significant moment uh, in in the race, uh, but Trump endorsing a year from now, uh, to me, it's, it's uncertain because we just don't know what kind of uh, figure uh, Trump will be uh, uh, a year, a year and a half from now. Another person that I think is also being watched closely is Missouri's soon-to-be senior senator, Josh Hawley. Um, so I would say that out of everybody who was at Lincoln Days in Kansas City, Josh Hawley got the most rapturous reception from people. His speech on Friday night got a standing ovation, and there were dozens upon dozens of people standing in line to get uh, Josh Hawley's book, uh, The Tyranny of Big Tech, signed on Saturday, which signals to me that his popularity among Missouri Republicans has not really declined at all since January 6th. In fact, I think it's gotten more strong. And so I think what he says and does in this race matters. And this is what he had to say generally about the contest. And this is actually him a answering a question about whether a, a big field helps Greitens. Oh, you know, Jason, I don't, I don't handicap it. I mean, that's not my job. My, my job is, first of all, as a Missouri GOP voter, my job is to try to get to know the candidates I don't know. And, uh, you know, I'm going to cast a primary ballot next August, so I want to be well-informed. And then I want to see us hold this seat. And my number one priority is to make sure that we get a great candidate and we win in November 2022. And the reason that's so important, Jason, is I believe Republicans will take back the Senate in 22, but we can't do it without Missouri. So the seat really matters a lot. So it's not a secret that Holly and Greitens do not like each other, which was the which was the pretext behind my next question to Holly after that one. I mean, you called for him to resign. You found evidence that he committed a felony. Like when you're talking with Donald Trump, are, I can't imagine that you're saying, you know, I want this guy to be a senator with me. Like, am I wrong in those assumptions? Well, I don't ever, I never give the former president advice. I will say that uh, I think former President Trump is he understands the importance of this race in Missouri. He's been very, very interested in it. He's been very keyed on it. Um, he's been watching the candidates who get in. I think a number of them have been down to see him at Mar-a-Lago or elsewhere. And, um, you know, again, I, I just think uh, there's, a, there's a ways to go in this, a long way to go, but I'm going to try to do my due diligence and just do my part to make sure that we get a great candidate and that we win in November. So what do both of you think about Holly's role in this race. And if he comes out and outwardly says, do not vote for Eric Greitens, what do you think that means about the state of the race? A, uh, 
anti-endorsement, if you will, of Greitens would be uh, to to agree to a degree, kind of um, stating the obvious, like you said, um, uh, the two men uh, clearly uh, there's no love lost there. Um, although it would be, I think, a, still a significant development for Holly to kind of go on the record in a public way, um, uh, you know, asking Republican voters, please don't vote for Greitens. Um, you know, Holly is is a popular um, uh, official uh, among a number of Missouri Republicans, and I do think um, a pronouncement like that uh, would would be influential. Um, but I also have to ask myself, you know, what is the what is the kind of cross section of uh, folks who you know respect and like Josh Hawley, but also uh, respect and like uh, Eric Greitens? And I, I don't know how large that that Venn diagram is. I think it exists. I'm just not sure how large it is. If it were to come to that point, I think it would signal a certain level of. Uh, of desperation um, because they would probably be pretty concerned that that he could get the nomination if, if he were to have to speak out in that situation. I've talked to some GOP uh, insiders who have said that at the moment, it seems like nobody's really wanting to outright attack Greitens, you know, kind of just just waiting and seeing, you know, if he doesn't make it to the end of the race, they, they're not going to want to alienate um, Greitens' potential supporters. So it seems like everyone's kind of still tiptoeing around it for now. And I think somebody coming out and saying that would be a pretty um, it, it would just be more than than they're currently doing. So I want to talk about like why Republicans are so nervous about Greitens potentially winning this primary. It's it's certainly possible. And I would say slightly likely that Missouri is such a Republican state that any of these people could win, even Greitens. But there are Democrats like former U.S. Senator Claire McCaskill who believe that Greitens would be so damaged out of this primary the Democrat, the, whoever comes out of the Democratic primary could have an actual chance of winning this race. And she has one person in particular she, that she thinks would be particularly notable. I think Jay uh, might run. I'm not saying I'm not breaking a story here. I'm, I think he might run. I think he, um, you know, the coalition you have to put together in Missouri is, as you said, it's very tough because you have to just hang the moon in the progressive blue areas of the state, and then you have to cut the margins in rural Missouri. I think Jay can cut the margins in rural Missouri. I think he would have some work to do to make sure that the progressive wing of the Democratic Party was enthusiastic about him. Now, what McCaskill is referring to there is that there's going to be a lot of Democrats in Missouri that aren't going to be that excited about Nixon, primarily because how he responded to the aftermath of Michael Brown's shooting death in Ferguson. Um, on the other hand, I think the fact that McCaskill brought up Nixon unprompted signals that there's a real dissatisfaction with the current Democratic field. Uh, what are both of you hearing about Nixon's potential entry into the race? And does it even matter since the state has taken such a hard right turn over the past few years? What I've heard across the board is that Crimes is the only way that the Republicans are weak in the general election. He by far would be, as best as we can tell, the the Democratic candidate who could enter the race with the most name recognition with with probably the the largest network of, of possible contacts and 
and supporters and, and potential donors to, to draw upon. Um, that said, even for him, it would be, for any Democrat, it, it would be a uh, uphill battle, um, even against possibly Greitens, if, if Greitens were to be nominated. I think, um, I think you're right, Jason, that there are, uh, you know, he would have to do some work um, regarding uh, uh, more liberal or more progressive uh, Democrats and, and kind of shoring up um, interest and excitement. Although um, at the same time, you know, the specter of, of, of Greitens as the, the nominee uh, or, or as a senator, rather, rather, I think that could serve to really um, excite um, uh, Democrats uh, across the state. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I think uh, Nixon, for his part, uh, at least uh, for us, has been, um, has been, I think, fairly... Uh, coy and has not really made a lot of uh, public statements about, um, you know, his his uh, interest uh, one way or the other. Um, so I, I think it's certainly out there that that uh, a lot of people are looking at him as a possible candidate. Um, uh, it's not clear to me right now whether he's taking uh, the kind of significant steps you would you would need to take and. If you're if you're really serious about uh, entering entering a race, but um, at the same time, you know it's still uh, we're still more than a year out, so it's um, it's quite possible that that uh, he or or someone else could could make up their mind here uh, in the next few months. Uh, my final thought before I let all of us go is I've spent a little bit of time with former Governor Nixon since he's been out of office, and he does he has not struck me as somebody who is angling to get back into the fray. But I, I think he may understand that he may have all the tools to run a really well-organized and well-funded race. So I think he has to be giving it some thought, as well as uh, Kansas City Mayor Quentin Lucas and State Senator Brian Williams of University City have also put their names out as potential Democratic candidates. But I want to thank both of you for talking about this contest in depth. We'll have you back on the podcast in the coming weeks and months. Uh, for all of our stories, go to stlpr.org. For all of the Kansas City Star stories, uh, kansascity.com. Politically Speaking is a product of St. Louis Public Radio, which is part of the University of Missouri-St. Louis. Follow me on Twitter at Jay Rosenbaum. Jeannie, how can people follow you on Twitter? At Jeannie Kwong. And Jonathan, how can people follow you on Twitter? Twitter as well. Yeah, at John Shorman, J-O-N-S-H-O-R-M-A-N. Thank you very much. And until next time, so long. From St. Louis Public Radio. This is Politically Speaking.